Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, man. Did you hear about the service? Is that why you're all here? You heard about it, didn't you? Yeah, um, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a prayer right now because today we're, we're untethering and today we, uh, we, get, we get a ways out uh, and uh, it got a little deep, it got a little thick, it got a little messy and people left afterwards, the only request they had, they said, can you please warn the next service ahead of time that they're, that they're going to leave a little, a little undone? They, the one lady actually said, I was waiting for you to put me back together. And I said, oh, that's, that wasn't the point. She goes, yeah, but you could have told me that. So, so respectfully, um, uh, I'm going to do that now. I'm so excited if you're here. If you're brand new, welcome to Kesed. We are a community that believes we are better together than we are apart. And uh, my name is Danny. We're just, we're just in it today. And so uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father. Lord, there's all kinds of different people here. Uh, there's visitors here. There's people who don't know anything about God and don't really want to. There's people who love the Lord and uh, maybe are comfortable where they are. There's people from other churches that are just here to figure out uh, what is going on with this messed up place. And uh, God, we welcome them all. We are so excited that through the Holy Spirit, every heart in this room can be met right where they're at, that it doesn't have to be um, about eloquence or articulation. It is all about you and your presence in the room doing what you do. And so I just ask for any distractions to be set down, and I ask God that we would, uh, we would just engage with you in this very untethered way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the third installment of our untethered series, and the whole series has kind of come from this place uh, regarding broken and tangled worldviews. Every person in this room, uh, be it because of where you're born or how you were raised or what you were taught growing up or what you've experienced in the last month, every person in this room has a lens or a worldview that they see the world through, a belief system that they function through. And so we, as the church, oftentimes expect people to just sort of just merge with the standard belief system of our denomination. We are a non-denominational church. I've shared that with you. As a matter of fact, if you haven't watched the first two talks, you may, if you're watching this online, you may want to go back and do that because some of those postures and concepts are really important for the rest of the series. So if you're here today uh, and I say some stuff that you're like, what? Go back and watch the talks if you haven't watched it. But the idea is that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations that all think they got it right. And there are even more people in the world that do believe in God, but think that their version of that is right. And so as a church, what would it look like to untether, to float out, okay, into a space where we can examine the vehicle that got us here, our belief system, our church system, our, the way we see pastors, the way we see the Bible. This is what the series is all about. For some people, they've loved it. For other people, they were like, this is finally interesting. I'm not falling asleep in church. <laughs> yeah, and then for a whole bunch of other people, they're like, this is really uncomfortable and kind of sets, sets the stage for, for, for messiness. And I'm like, perfect. 
This is exactly what we're trying to accomplish. Church is already messy. The problem with church being effective is when we think it's clean and it's not, and we act like it's clean and it's not, because when we bring in people from the outside that don't speak our special words and sing our special songs, suddenly they don't feel included, and then we wonder why the church isn't effective. Part of that is because we aren't effective at claiming the mess that is. Now, that means today... We're going to talk about the mess, and we're going to talk about that mess as it directly relates to the Bible. Now, this is sacred to a lot of people, including myself, and I've loved it, and I've used it, and I base my life upon it. But there's also aspects of it that are confusing and, frankly, really, really messy. I'll even join the crowd of people in the room who say there's parts of it I just don't understand. And I know I'm not supposed to because I'm the guy on stage that's supposed to be pouring a belief system down your throat, but that's not why I'm here today. I'm instead going to recognize the mess, and I think for some of you, I'm going to pull you into it because maybe you thought it was a little cleaner than it actually is. And so we're going to dive into it. Let me first start off uh, with uh, posture. I've been really trying to give people postures to engage in different talks. One of the postures for this series has been this phrase, I don't believe you, continue. This is the posture of a child that, that says, this is what I think, but I'm willing to think different. That's very important for how we engage with the Bible. Today's posture, though, uh, ties to a story. And it's a story I heard about uh, a woman who was sharing that something she never forgot happened when she was a child. She was trying to teach her sister how to jump off the high dive at the local pool. And she said, my sister was up there and the line was building up and it was like seven, eight, 10 minutes and she wouldn't jump. She just kept saying, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And the older sister was down below encouraging her and saying, it's not scary and don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Look, everybody before you has done this. It just, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. Why are you afraid? It's fine. There was a 75 year old woman doing laps in the pool next to them. And she finally came over, listened to the conversation, and then she stopped and she said to the little girl, why don't you want to jump? And she said, because I'm afraid, because it's scary. And the older woman raised her hand in the, in the air defiantly and said, be afraid and do it anyways. This is the posture for today. It's going to be scary. It's supposed to be scary. And if you're going to get anything out of it, you've got to be afraid and do it anyways. So let me give you some facts about this book that we love so much. First, the Bible was written in three languages, and it wasn't English. For those of you that want, that want to know, but you're like, yep, English must have been one of them. Nope, it wasn't. <laughs> those languages are Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Bible is about 611,000 words long. It was written by more than 40 traditional authors. 40 individual people uh, had uh, partial writings in the Bible. The Bible was written on three continents. Most was writ written in what is modern-day Israel or Asia, but some passages of Jeremiah were written in Egypt or Africa, and several New Testament epistles were written from cities in Europe. The Bible was written by people from all sorts of diverse occupational backgrounds. Parts of the Bible were written by kings. Other parts of the Bible are written by farmers, fishermen, homeless prophets, vocational musicians, a tent maker, a doctor, a professional scribe, and such. The book comes from a myriad of directions. And so there are all sorts of different colorful flavors that come out in its pages, if you can understand that. If we have to speak to a single purpose of the Bible, it would be to reveal 
God to us. This is what it's supposed to do. 2 Timothy 3 says, You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what I love about the Bible. This is the beauty of its words, and this, this is, has had, had such an amazing impact on this world. All this to say the Bible is a vast place filled with incredibly powerful tools. But in order for you and I to access those tools appropriately, we have to recognize we all have lenses, worldviews that we read the Bible from. Whenever we look at Scripture from one limited worldview or lens, we often miss what's happening within the words on the page. And generation after generation after generation of people haven't been willing to do what you're doing right now, which is be authentic and honest about that. And so people have read the Bible through their lens. They get a thousand people from their culture who also agree, theologians, priests, pastors, everybody that's important who says, yes, that's what the Bible says, and then they act out upon it. They've done this for generation after generation, and so in the name of God's word, insane things have been proclaimed because of it. A multitude of genocides not just a few, a multitude, if not, I'd even, I'd even say a majority of genocides have been perpetuated against indigenous people all throughout the world with scripture as their driving force. We're going to be missionaries and we're going to save you or you're going to get killed. Your choice. Either way, you're going to meet God. Much of the expansion of human slavery was fueled by passages in the Bible. People would get slaves, give them the gospel, and say the gospel teaches us it's okay to own another human being. It's natural and normal and holy. Now go work for me. Now go do whatever I say because God has put me and ordained me because of this book over you. Still today, scripture is used for the advancement of toxic patriarchy. You notice the earlier verse, it says, the Bible's been used for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There are whole denominations that basically say everywhere it says man, it means man. Men. <laughs> Bible. <laughs> Women. This is just part of it. The question then is, how are we supposed to approach the Bible responsibly? How are we supposed to engage it today, right now? And the answer is actually built into the foundation of this church, and it's this, through Scripture and Spirit. We are supposed to sit with each other and through the Holy Spirit get into and investigate what these Scriptures actually mean. We are told that Scripture is alive through the Holy Spirit. This is not something I'm making up. This is a real thing. The Bible without the Holy Spirit is just another book, an even more confusing book. But when you have the Holy Spirit and another person or another perspective, then suddenly you can step into the mess and through the Holy Spirit, you can come to beautiful conclusions, not just for your world, but for your personal situation. Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
The Word of God is living and active. It's moving, it's growing, it's developing, it's happening, okay? It's, it's, it's happening all around us. And it, through its ability to pierce and divide and bring together, the Word of God through the Holy Spirit is supposed to be coming and saying, Danny, this part of you, this is not what I want for you. And it cuts out this part of my, my prejudice. It cuts out this part of my pride. It cuts out this part of my story that, that, that I've been holding higher than the rest of my story. And so it gives me permission to treat people and see people or, or whatever it is, however I want. And the Word of God dives in through the Holy Spirit and kills the old things in me. To make, new for, to make room for new things and fresh things. This is what the Word of God is supposed to do. And what this means is that the Bible isn't to be just read but explored. It's got to be explored. We've got to step back and create space for what it says, and we've got to be authentic about the stuff that's messy, and we've got to be authentic about the stuff that is super clear, and we've got to be willing to hold both of those narratives. This is a really important principle for anybody doing emotional health work. You learn to hold both narratives. The Bible is messy. The Bible's super clear. Oh, man, that Bible is so clear. It is so messy. You're not just a person of mess. You don't just walk around and go, Bible means nothing, man. Everything's messy. You don't get to also say, Bible's super clear. I don't understand how you don't understand. The Bible is both. It's, it's multiple narratives in one, and it creates tension that's supposed to be created so that you and other people and you and the Holy Spirit can engage in the mess. Ready? This is called relationship. By the way, if you're like, I've never done that before. I don't do that. If you've been married, you've done that. Okay, if you've been married, you brought the Holy Spirit in, especially Christian marriage. You brought the Holy Spirit in. You said, I'm going to blend my, my life with this other person who's completely different than me, radically different than me. And we're going to live in tension and unity. Tension and unity. Messy and clear. And, and we're going to be better for it, and we're going to have hard days. This is no different. The Bible is no different. You have good days, and guess what, folks, because I study it a lot. I have bad weeks where I'm like, what? What am I supposed to do with this? And it's only when I came to a place where I could carry both narratives that I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'll live in that tension. I accept both. I receive both. This is what it means to explore it. This is what it means to step into it. And this is how we're so, supposed to approach it, even with well-known stories and even with pastors that are incredibly articulate and entertaining. I, was referring, I wasn't referring to me. <laughs> that wasn't me. I was saying anybody that could convince you otherwise. You need to listen to these stories. You need to listen to these stories, and you need to allow them to seep into your worldview by recognizing that that's what they're doing, and this could be what it means, it could be what it means for me, or it could not be what it means. Take a story like the prodigal son, right? The story of the prodigal son is a beautiful story. It has three main characters. It has uh, a righteous father who is loving and willing. It has an older brother who is kind of the, the keeper of things. He is stable. He is secure. He is the builder. He is the one who would receive the legacy of the future from the older father. And then it has this younger brother. And the younger brother is, is kind of wild and eccentric, and he, he sees the world outside, but he sees the love his father and brother have for him, and he's like, ah, I just got to try it. I got to go do it. So he asks for half of his inheritance early. His younger brother, of course, older brother, of course, uh, flips out and says, this can't be right. This is wrong. Why would you do that? The 
Younger brother convinces the father to do it anyways, and so the uh, younger brother takes all these inheritance and runs off into the world. He ends up blowing up his entire life. He spends all the money he has. He gives all the relational rent he can. He winds up working as a, basically a pig farmer, helping to feed pigs and living off the food he's giving them. He comes to a place within himself. He comes to a place within himself and he goes, it better for me to be one of the lowest workers for my father than be out here. I'd rather be in his kingdom than be out here without, without anything and love. And so he comes home. Story says that he comes home over the edge of the hill and his father sees him and he lifts up his robes and he runs out to meet him. And he for sure says, Dad, Father, I don't, I, I can't, I don't belong to you. I, I, I can't receive the blessing. I've ruined everything. And the father embraces him and muffles up against him and says to somebody, kill the fatted calf. We're having a feast tonight. My son has returned. They have this feast and during the feast, the father looks around and can't find the older brother, the one who stayed, the one who's stable the one who was faithful. And he sees him outside and he goes outside and the older brother says, I just, I can't participate in this feast. I, he just, he's, 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 he's done so much harm and now he's in here and he's different. His culture's different. He believes different. And he said, don't you understand, son? My legacy is yours. Everything I have is yours. But to love him, that is what I do and who I am. Now I have preached that story 25 times over 20 years. And inside that story, there's all kinds of different perspectives depending on where you're at in your worldview and in your own story. You may be, for instance, the younger brother. You may feel like you're out in the world and you're spinning and there's no help and you just want to return home, but you're not really sure you'll be accepted. You may be the father himself wishing your kids would come back as they are out pouring their lives away. You may be the older brother who is stable and secure and don't really know what to do with these these peripheral cultures that, are, that seem to be just blowing up their worlds. But let me tell you what the story did for me this week. See, I was preparing this Bible story talk. And as I read it, I thought, okay, this is what the story means for me. Right now, letting my worldview seep into it, this is what it means for me. First, you have the Father, and for me, it's God the Father. And I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disappoint him. I, don't, I want, he is righteous, and he is holy, and he is good. And inside a community like this, I have two people. One, I have people like the younger brother who have spent much of their life out in the world, but that hasn't really quenched anything, and it's not really meeting their needs. And so they're starting to slowly seep in here. A lot of them come late, under cover of low lights and last song. They steal our coffee, and then they sit in the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they take, they, 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 you don't see them. They'll come in and they sit down because they don't want to make a ton of eye contact because they don't really know if they belong. And, but yet they hear from up here and the songs and I hope the scripture that they do. But it's kind of weird because there's another group of people that also go to this church. For me, they're the older brothers and sisters. They're the stable ones, the giving ones. Don't think Tom's update about giving. There's no younger brother giving in that. That's all older brother giving. That's all older sister giving. The stability of the church relies on those people for they are the legacy of God and everything he has is theirs. But as I preach this sermon and as I look at this picture, I think to myself, it's the feast that I'm most messed up about. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's foggy for me because I'm wondering, can God provide a feast for people who don't belong provided by people who stayed to help? Can there be a merger of those two people? Or as we get ready to move downtown, are we going to be older brothers and sisters standing at the door watching all these strange folk come in, being like, wonder who's paying for them? 
Wonder who's providing the fatted calf for them. Where were they when it was hard? Where were they as they volunteered to help and take over your spot or sit in your seat? Where were they? This is the perspective I know that's seeping into me. But this story is different for everybody because this story, my friends, is alive. It's changing all the time. It's meaning through the Holy Spirit is supposed to pour into your life and mine, and it's supposed to transform and reset and restructure all of our worldviews. This is who we're supposed to experience when we read the Bible. The Holy Spirit, not Danny's words, not something else, but we are supposed to experience the Holy Spirit and who he says we are. This is why Jewish tradition, I don't know if you know that or not, but the Bible is Jewish. It's written by Jewish people. By the way, Jesus was a Jew as well. And Jewish tradition says the way in which you approach the Bible is important, as important as what you believe about it. Jewish tradition has always understood that, stood that Scripture is to be engaged in community. It's to be engaged in community, not just you by yourself without the Holy Spirit. That's part of the community or other people that may have different perspectives. As a matter of fact, the Jewish way of studying this, and so hear me, the Jewish way this was written, which when those two things meet, suddenly all kinds of beautiful things happen. You have the Jewish way it was written and the Jewish way you're supposed to approach it. This actually meant, I'll put it on the screen, Scripture for Jewish people is supposed to be a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. And for a lot of us, we listen to someone's argument, we listen to someone's argument, we go to the Bible, <laughs> you're wrong, you're right, Bible said so. This is not the common approach to Scripture for thousands of years, nor is it how Scripture was written by the Jewish people. So, let me give you an illustration of how they understood Scripture to be. Let's take this vase right here. Imagine this vase is a complete piece of Scripture, a complete thought in and of itself. Jewish people would come together in a room, and they would take the two top uh, uh, theologians or, or spiritual leaders of the time around this verse that disagreed with its meaning. And they would set them in front of a crowd like this, and the first person would open. I'm going to talk about this verse. It's beautiful. All right, everybody agrees it's beautiful? All right. It's got these beautiful flowers coming out the top of it. It's a beautiful, looks like ceramic vase. And on the side of it, it has a large gray elephant. And people would go, oh, oh my gosh. He sees an elephant on the side of the verse. Yes, yes. Uh, big elephant, large ears, uh, tiny eyes, and a long trunk. And what this means is that you're supposed to move spiritually slow through your life. Listen well. <laughs> And reach out to help people whenever you can. That's what it means. That's what it means. Another gentleman on the other side, okay? Okay, look at this side. Oh, I, I see the flowers, and it certainly is ceramic, but um, this verse is all about color. This verse is all about pieces and how they fit together, and we are all a different piece, and we're supposed to slow ourselves down to understand through self-evaluation uh, what color we are so that we know how we fit with other believers inside the story. And a bunch of people who see that too would go, that's amazing. And this guy would go, what, what are you talking about? They're, 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 there's no color in this at all. It's black and gray and white and solid. It's one solid piece. This is the truth of the Lord. And this person would go, you are a fool. 
It's all about pieces and contextualization and meaning. And what do you mean one piece? And of course there's colors. And they would argue back and forth until finally someone would stop. And then they would look out at the room and they would ask this question. What's on the vase? Both. See, the truth sits in the discussion. It sits in the conversation. It sits in my worldview and his or her worldview colliding together to help us see something bigger than ourselves. And too often we've grown up in churches that said, frankly, listen, uh, it's just all about this. And uh, we're a church of red and we don't even believe in pink. So that shouldn't be there at all. And by the way, anything yellow is out. And you're like, I'm going to hunt around. Nope, I do believe in red, but I believe also in a little bit of light blue. And so you find your little church and you hope the volume to the music's not too loud, right? Because that's the real definer of whether or not you're going to attend. <laughs> Theology is important, but volume of music is, wow, that speaks to all kinds of spiritual things going on inside the church. So, so you figure out a church that believes in red with a little bit of blue with just the right volume. And then you lock in for about 36 months till somebody says something you don't like. And then you go on another church search. This is just reality. I'm just saying it out loud. This is not how the Bible is supposed to be approached. Jewish tradition dictates that only through this communal exploration can a true understanding of any scripture's meaning be grasped. And this is incredibly important because there's two things you need to remember, two lenses that that really go in front of your lens for you to understand and read the Bible, and that's this, that the Bible is both prescriptive and descriptive. Okay, prescriptive definition relates to the enforcement of a rule or method. This is like when you get a prescription at the doctor. And there are all kinds of things in the Bible that are prescriptive. For instance, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, and he, Jesus, said to him, prescription, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is how you're supposed to live. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Can I have another? Yes, you can, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That prescription is no longer good. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how you're supposed to live. We take these verses, and for many of us, we love these verses. Because they're black and white, they're clear as day, and we we use them, and we live by them, and we hold them over other people's heads as best we can. (laughs) Other verses in the Bible are descriptive. Descriptive definition is serving or seeking to describe, serving or seeking to describe. This often, by the way, is describing what's going on in the culture or describing what's going on inside someone's heart. Like when one man was, was at war with another group of people and he wanted to minimize and execute all the people in that tribe because they were against God and they were against him and they were against everything. And so he ends up writing a poem and one of the lines in the poem is absolutely terrible and poured out from this dark, dark place where he says, happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. That's in the Bible, folks. That's in the Bible. Happy is that guy. Oh, there's better ones. There's better descriptive verses. How about Deuteronomy 23.1? No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So if you have a bad bike accident, no church for you. None. Can you imagine me showing up to evaluate? I heard you got the mountain bike accident. Oh, you're not coming to church anymore. 
Sorry, that is definitely crushed. <laughs> like, that's, like, this is crazy. How about this one? How about this one, okay? <laughs> Deuteronomy 25, 11, and 12. If two men, a man and his countrymen, are struggling together, so they're in a fight, and the wife comes near to deliver her husband, she's going to defend him, from the hand of the one who is striking him, and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand, and you shall show no pity. There is an appropriate way to defend your husband, and that, ma'am, is not it. Please see the elder with the shiny sword on your way out of church. This is a description of cultural things that are happening. These are heart utterances. There's all kinds of these things inside the Bible. And to take these descriptive verses as prescriptive is to miss their meaning. And yet history shows we've done this time and time and time and time again. For instance, New Testament, because I know a lot of you are like, well, he's all in the Old Testament. The New Testament is fresh and new, and nothing in the New Testament could be gray. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14. <laughs> For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I love how it starts off. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Ladies, ladies, ladies. <laughs> ladies, you just, the word of God was just preached over you. Let's keep it. Men, men, apparently you haven't shared this with your wives at home, men. There was, a, there was a church that got to this point in this book, and they actually said, they act, their true story, there's a church where the women are not allowed to speak in the congregation, not allowed to speak, but the women weren't able to do childcare for them, so they decided to interpret the verse that it only means in the house of the Lord, not in the daycare of the Lord. So they can speak in the daycare, but they can't speak in the actual church. New Testament, folks. Maybe some of you still aren't convinced. You're like, you know what? You know what? <laughs> it's critical to explore Scripture through the Holy Spirit and with one another to understand whether it's descriptive or prescriptive. Paul here is dealing with a problem with a specific church in a specific region. When the gospel came, women were uh, allowed suddenly in church, and they were allowed to, to participate, which they were not allowed beforehand. And so women excited to be a part who hadn't at the time been uh, educated, who hadn't actually even learned to read, started asking too many questions during service, interrupting what was happening, and they were just taking over with their questions and their stuff. And so Paul finally says, listen, listen, why don't you guys start by just teaching them at home? Te they need to be able to understand so they can participate. And this is his context and what he decided to do about it. And then we took it and made it an entire denomination. This is, here's what this ties to. This ties, this, here's, a, here's another illustration. I have uh, Alyssa in the back who assists me all the time, and she's our creative director on here. Alyssa, I had the privilege of doing uh, her husband, uh, Kevin, and her's wedding. And here's a picture of Alyssa and Kevin. I want you to notice in this picture that Alyssa is to the right of Kevin. This isn't an accident. This is because Kevin is deaf in his left ear. And so Alyssa and Kevin have this culture of honor within their home where if they go somewhere together, uh, Kevin generally drives so that Alyssa can be in the passenger seat and they can have a discussion without him having to turn his head. I had dinner with him two days ago. Alyssa sat to the right of Kevin at the dinner table. When they walk out, Alyssa's to his right. Alyssa's always to his right. Now imagine I was impressed 
as the pastor of this church with their honor. And so I wrote a letter to another church I was counseling. And I said, here's the thing you need to understand. Marriage is all about uh, showing up one another's weaknesses. It's about honoring each other and being a part of one another's story. And I shared everything I just shared with you about Kevin and Alyssa. And then the pastor got on stage and said, the apostle Danny wrote us a letter. And from now on, (laughs) from now on, all the women in our church are to sit to the right of the men. Women aren't allowed to drive. Only speaking to my right ear, woman. For this is the word of the Lord. This is how some of our stuff has come about. Where there were these beautiful concepts that got turned into, into, into these broken ways of thinking and seeing. And that's why so many of you have been wounded by the Bible in the past. Because you went against something. You sat to the left or you talked in the wrong ear or you said the wrong thing or you believed the wrong thing. And suddenly someone said to you, don't you know this is the way of the Lord? And so the Bible, because of that pain, doesn't get explored. It doesn't get wrestled with. And we miss out on all the different beautiful things it's supposed to mean. It is critical to explore Scripture through the Holy Spirit and with one another. We have to do it. Now, there's probably a small group of people in the room that still aren't with me. And you're like, Pastor Danny, I like you. I like you a lot. I hope. (laughs) But I don't agree with your theology because I want you to know that if the Bible says it, I'm going to do it. Okay. Well, we take communion here about once a month. I just want to read to you our typical communion verse, which is the same verse that all churches use for communion. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine... Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. First thing you need to understand. If you're going to take communion, exactly how Jesus represents communion here, every single person in here will be sucking off the same exact glass. Mm. That's holy. Next, we absolutely won't be using any more gluten-free crackers. Okay? Because it's bread and bread only. And then last, and this is really important, Jesus says fruit of the vine. No one's confused with that theological description, fruit of the vine is wine, which means if you've ever taken communion, or better yet, if you've never taken communion with just bread and wine, you've actually never taken communion if you're a literalist. Because the fact is, it doesn't say you can use crackers and Kool-Aid, which is what we use, and so does every other church. Because in our culture, it's semi-inappropriate to have alcohol served to children. And people who wrestle with the substance. But if you are a literal, I'm going to do it because that's what Jesus said. And there's no cultural concept whatsoever. It's not a prescription. He's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. And a description. And you can kind of blend it to your culture. Then you have never taken the sacraments in your life. This is why it's so important to not be a people who cherry pick. Because the truth of it is, you can find anything and everything inside this book. If you want to find a sword to cut someone's head off, you can find it inside this book. If you want to find a rare salve to heal someone's wound, you can find it inside this book. But without the Holy Spirit and a community of people and being willing to sit in the mess and the tension, then all you're going to to do is walk around and cut the heads off people who are looking for salve 
and salve people who need their heads cut off. (laughs) You're just going to be all sorts of dysfunctional, and you're going to do it all, like history has shown, in the name of the Bible. There's two challenges I want to leave you with this week. And they tie actually really well to our illustration. The first one is this. Through the Spirit, can you trust that the Bible occupies a space bigger than your personal understanding and vision? Can it be, can it be bigger than you? Can it have things about it that, that aren't quite put together well? Um, this puzzle illustration is something on purpose. I know... Uh, uh, we have a lady in our church who just loves puzzles. Her name is Tammy, and her daughter's here. And I actually got a puzzle for her because she adores it. Does anybody else just, like, adore puzzles? And don't raise your hand if you don't really like puzzles. Okay? Okay? Yeah. We'll give you one right here. Savannah, take both. Give one to her. And here's the thing about these puzzles. These are thousand-piece puzzles, uh, and they're actually of the astronaut, which is so unheard of. I thought that was super cool. And here's the thing that you have to understand about the puzzle and about trusting God to have occupy a space bigger than your personal understanding. Because to trust God this way is like this. This would be a similar trust given to the puzzle maker who made sure that every piece of the puzzle exists so the picture can eventually be made clear. No one's going to start that puzzle unless they actually believe there's a thousand pieces in there to build. If there's three to five or even one missing, what's the point of starting the puzzle? Sometimes you have to step back and untether and live in the mess of what scripture is, but trust that God is bigger than your own understanding and that all the pieces are there. But you've got to be willing to dive in first and trust. You don't just get to say, dump it out on the floor and go, yep, I see it. It's It's a picture. It makes sense. People around you want to see what God sees, and it's your job to be that example for them. But you have to be willing to trust that the Bible occupies a space bigger than your personal understanding and vision. So important. Hard, but important. Second, can you explore the Bible with enough humility to consider you may have read some of it wrong? Maybe you got some of it wrong. This fits really well with our elephant illustration. I recently came across uh, a little blog. I think it was called From the Diary of a Preschool Teacher. She says, my five-year-old students are learning to read. Yesterday, one of them pointed at a picture in a zoo book and said, hey, look at this. It's a freaking elephant. (laughs) I took a deep breath. And I asked, what did you call it? He said, it's a freaking elephant. It says so on the picture. She leaned over his shoulder and said, and so it does. (laughs) Hey, hey, maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you learned it wrong. Maybe you were taught it wrong. Maybe it's a friggin' elephant the whole time. Or maybe it's not. By the way, this is the name of my message for this week, a friggin' elephant. We need to be people who are willing to admit when we got stuff wrong, at least be willing and open to the concept. This is an important part of what we're supposed to be to our world, to our community, to our children. What if you're teaching your children wrong? What is on the line? 
What really matters? We've got to be willing to sit and see both sides of things. We have to create space and make it big enough. We have to be able to accept that we may have missed some pieces, and we have to trust the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do. And listen, I know these kinds of spaces are scary to jump into. I really do. But if this is where Jesus is guiding, be afraid and do it anyways. Jump in. Let the water consume you. Trust that the Holy Spirit's there to be with you. And watch what it feels like to be untethered into the arms of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am grateful and I am thankful for a space such as this. God, I think there's hearts that have been stirred in this room, and so I just want to take a few minutes. I want to recognize, Lord, that you are the one who came down and started all this. We, we really blame you for it. You are the one who turned the tables upside down, who told the scribes they were wrong, who fulfilled prophecies people thought were crazy. You were the one who says to love enemies, to follow you, to trust you. You told us, Lord, the road is narrow and maybe it's up and down and through the valley and over the hill and through muddy waters, through fog. Lord, wherever it is you are leading us and however it is you are leading us, our only request is that you allow us to keep hearing your voice because, God, you are worthy. You are worthy to be followed, to be praised, and to be loved. I pray in this room there would be a shattering of religion, that people would instead decide to step into the mess that is you, that they would be honest with their kids, with their spouses, with this established church, with their belief system, that they would let it crack just a little. That they would admit they've been hurt by the church, by this book. And God, may they step into healing unknown. We love you, Lord. We rest in this undone place. We bring the songs to you in Jesus' name. Amen.